Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. To a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land's Stick to Sports podcast. My name is Matt Tim, and in on Stick to Sports, we do talk about Ohio State athletics, but more often than not, we avoid the X's and O's of said sports and dive into what is going on around the periphery of the games, as well as whatever else is keeping us occupied and entertained in between. As always, I am joined by Land Grant Holy Land's West Coast Bureau Chief, Jamie Urich. Jamie, welcome to the most wonderful time of the year, college football season. Thank you so much. Happy holidays to everyone celebrating. The high holy days, as they say in certain religions. Um, We are finally here. We are recording on Monday, August 29th. This will come out tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, August 30th. And not only is that my mother's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. You don't listen. But anyway, happy birthday. Um, But this is game week. This is the thing that we've been waiting for. And I feel like, Jamie, this has been an incredibly long off-season one because really, I, the Rose Bowl was great, beating Utah was great, but like because Ohio State lost to that team up north, I feel like the offseason really began then. And so like we had an extra month plus five weeks of the offseason because while the Rose Bowl, again, big deal, playing there, it's gorgeous, it's amazing. I think Utah's a really good team. I could see them making the playoff this year, but it just didn't have the same feeling. So I feel like we've had an extra month or month or so of the offseason. Then with all these changes, like, you feel a little less sure about what's going on because you have all of these wide receivers going to the NFL. You have all these new defensive coaches. It feels a little bit more unknown, making it feel like the longer or the the wait till the season starting has been longer. Have you felt that? Or is that just me and my idiosyncratic anxieties about the football season? No, I've definitely felt that. And I think that that's like, you know, I think all things have a give and a take. And I, I love the playoff system. And I also think the sad thing about it is that kind of the legacy of things like the Rose Bowl, they just don't hold the same weight that they used to. And so exactly what you said, like losing against uh, that team up north kind of kickstarted that offseason. And I also think coming out of the gate with a huge game is kind of like amping up the excitement because it's not just a throwaway game. Not that we all remember Michigan and Appalachian State, right? Like, they ha- it happens and you play those teams sometimes and they come out swinging. But this is like a huge game to kick off the season. And it's kind of the game of the week for across the NCAA. So this is, uh, this is a really, I'm really jazzed for this week. Yeah, I mean, not even, I think the game of the week, I think the game of the non-conference schedule, like it's the biggest game. I, I don't, personally and i'll give a i do a podcast every game day where i kind of run through a lot of like the stats and all that stuff so i'll give my official prediction then but like i don't think it's going to be that close personally like the line came out over the weekend on sunday ohio state's a 17 and a half point favorite and i've been saying i've been telling like my family and i've said it in the in the land grant slack channel like i think 17 is the minimum that ohio state is going to win by 
but maybe that's just me looking at things through scarlet and gray colored glasses. But uh, I really think this is one of those games where Ohio State has all of that built up anxieties from this really tumultuous offseason. People were calling them soft and a finesse team, and they got pushed around not only by Oregon, but their rivals. And then you have all this turnover on the defensive staff, mainly because the defense for the second year in a row and maybe even, I don't know, third time in in four years or whatever really prevented them from having a chance to win the national championship when their offense was one of, or if if not the best in the entire country. Uh, I feel like this is going to come out with a much better uh, attitude and a much tougher uh, look for this team, but that's probably getting an, a little too much into the on the field stuff than we normally want to, Jamie. So let's talk about college football in general. First off, what did you do for week zero? Did you celebrate that as kind of like the advent of the high holy days, like with the lead up to it, the Lent, if you will? Um, or how did you uh, kind of observe week zero and the utter perfection that was Northwestern and Nebraska playing in Dublin, Ireland? Yes. So I, people who have listened to the show for a bit know I grew up in Chicago. So mm-hmm. uh, Northwestern does Chicago's have like a team, yeah. little soft spot in my heart. Um, and especially given the nonsense with Scott Frost, um, which if you'd like to hear Dude. Meredith and I dive into that more, the we talked about that on our Play Like a Girl episode last week, but mm-hmm. uh, it was glorious to watch Northwestern win and then troll Scott Frost, which was like truly my favorite part of all of it. When um, they said in their post-game conference, like we only threw up four times during camp or something. So good. So and I like, good. This is beautiful. Like let's just drag Scott Frost through the mud. Um, and so that was kind of my kickoff. I felt like it checked the box with Northwestern being a team that I, kind of like loosely follow and care about, but they're not like my team. So I got to watch a team that I was a little bit invested in and then also got a little bit of my kind of petty trash talking. um, Oh yeah. That's part of the fun. And that I was like, now I'm ready. We've got the petty and we have the, like my darling child of the big 10 and, and we're good. Um, So now I'm ready to just go full on petty with the Notre Dame fans. (laughs) Oh God. Petty is like, I run the land grant Twitter account during games. I am all about the petty. Sometimes I, I, I have very thin skin, which is why I could never be like a performer. Like I was very close to being a theater major in college, but then I was like, mm, I don't have the skin thick enough to do this. So it's better that I'm not, but like I can get a little petty on the Twitter mainly because no one knows who the hell it is unless they listen to this podcast. And now I've told them who it is doing the Twitter, but like uh, it gets fun. Like the pettiness is half of the the fun of being an online person during a college football game. Like that's 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 the joy of social media. It's also the curse of social media. But like that's what's fun about it. Like what is your I know what your plans are for this game, but like just in general for an average college football game, regular season, not a huge rivalry, not a top 10 matchup. What is your normal game watching thing? Is it a go out to a sports bar and watch it? Does it go to wherever the alumni association is watching it? You live with an alum of that team up north, of that school up north. So like, is it at home? What is your normal game watching setup? 
Well, so she and I don't watch games together. That's Smart. not allowed. And it's really not allowed after last November when she slept through the whole first half and then woke up and talked trash. And I was like, you didn't even wake up for kickoff. Go back to your room. I don't want to see you for at least a week. Um, <laughs> you're in timeout. But I, it depends because being on the West Coast, those noon games start at like yeah. nine here. Yeah. So that's a copy in bed with my TV on in my room and I drink my coffee and that's lovely. Um, anytime like this game is a, is an afternoon game for us. So I will definitely be at the sports bar watching um, with other fans. I like the environment of watching games with your people. Like there's something really communal and beautiful about that. And I almost like it more when I'm not in Columbus because it just kind of feels like you get a taste of that of how vast our fan base really is. Like there's yeah. something really special about having that community outside of Columbus. Um, so I will definitely be watching this game. Kind of those bigger primetime games are generally at the sports bars. 9 a.m. does feel like it's a little bit early for me to, to start drinking. Kegs and eggs, baby. Kegs and eggs. Yes. <laughs> when I was in college, I would have felt very differently. But it's like coffee time in bed. Sometimes pantsless mimosas, big fan of that. And like, that's about what happens when it's the the noon kickoffs for that's everyone else. That's very fair. Uh, I, I, if you, for folks who are listening, if you want to check out my, either my Twitter or my Instagram, I set up my college football season television arrangement where I have three TVs in my living room so I can have as many TVs on to watch college football as I possibly can. So I, I put a picture of that on my social media. Um, so I've got my big, like, I guess it's 65 inch TV in the middle, which is my normal TV. And I've got like a 42 or 45 inch TV on the side. Then I've got another 40 inch TV that's currently on the ground, but I've got a, uh, uh, like a riser thing coming for it for it's not, so it's not completely on the ground. Um, that'll be here tomorrow. But so that's my setup. I generally, so I live in the same town uh, as my parents in Florida. My brother lives about 20 minutes away. My uncle lives across the street from me. And then I have another aunt and uncle that live in Jacksonville, which is about three hours away. So we we basically just watch games together. Again, I'm working the games, uh, both doing the social media for Land Grant and also generally writing a column. So um, we used to watch at my parents' house. Um, they moved and they are in a place now that does not have cable, like this that na that neighborhood in celebration where we live does not is like the only place in the neighborhood that's not covered by Comcast and Xfinity. So they have YouTube TV, which is great. It works perfectly, except for the fact that there is such a delay that I would not be able to deal with that. Like there's already a delay. Like if you watch on Twitter, like I often know if Ohio State scores a touchdown before it's on TV just because of the people who are there in the press box tweeting about it. Then if you add in the latency issues from a streaming service, like it would be like 30 seconds. So I'm like, I have cable. I still pay for cable. We're watching them at my house this year. Um, so we'll all be watching them at my place. But uh, I, I, we used to do before I land grant, we used to go a lot to the alumni association of central Florida. They used to, they, they still might watch games at a, at a B-dubs. Um, and that's great. But like, I'm somebody who like, I want to hear what is being said. Like there, if there's an injury, if there's a storyline, I want to be able to hear what they're talking about. And while it's great to be in the crowd, even here in Florida with so many Buckeye fans, like to me, I missed part of like the experience of being able to actually hear the commentators, even though 
99 times out of 100, I don't actually like the announcers that do games on TV. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I will say the OSU bars here in LA have always been really awesome about um, pumping the sound in. So we, we do get the commentary, but like, I agree with you. I like being able to hear it. It does, that kind of gets, I don't want to say like dulled out, but it does when you're in a bar, you're, you're kind of riding the high of other people cheering and you're doing the cheers that you would be doing in the stadium and things like that. So you do lose a little bit of the kind of commentary and um, analysis that you would get if you were watching at home. Yeah. So we both know what we're doing for, for this game, but you mentioned the fact that this game is not just a normal regular season kickoff. This is a huge top five matchup of two of the bluest blue bloods in all of college football, Ohio State and Notre Dame. The Buckeyes come into the season ranked number two in both the AP and coaches poll. Notre Dame comes in ranked number five. This is, like I said, the marquee matchup of the non-conference college football season. And it is one that even though they don't play all that often, the last time they played, I was in high school back in, what, 95 and 96 are the, t- is the years that they played. Um, and But there is a rivalry because of how close in proximity they are. They are in neighboring states. Uh, they both are two of the best recruiting programs in the country, often fighting over Midwest talent. And I feel like one, because Notre Dame's new head coach, Marcus Freeman is a former Ohio state player, and he does not seem to have a whole lot of nice things to say about his time in Columbus, which we can talk about in a second, but because of all of this stuff with the new uh, big 10 media rights deal, there's been a lot more conversation about Notre Dame potentially finally joining the big 10. I don't think that that is necessarily in the cards to happen in the immediate, you know, aftermath of this new rights deal, but it could happen in the future. But you grew up in Chicago, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the biggest city closest to South Bend, Indiana. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, did you go to Catholic school as well? I sure did. And we actually have a lot of family members who work at Notre Dame. Okay, Like there are family ties that run deep. Yeah, so you and I both went to Catholic schools. Um, I went to St. Pius and St. Charles in Columbus, and you went to Catholic school in Chicago. So, like, we have these ties. But for me, they were never, like, positive ties. These these were always like, oh, yeah, everybody that I'm around, like, likes them because they're supposed to, and it makes me hate them even more. Well, and so I also, to your point earlier about the rivalry, I do think that part of the reason that this rivalry is still so strong, despite the fact that they don't play every season or even like all that regularly is because frankly, both fan bases are very annoying. Oh yeah. I say that as a Buckeye fan, I know that I am annoying. And I think that my issue with the Notre Dame fans is that they don't think that they're annoying. Like I at least can acknowledge that I'm being obnoxious and our team really with the exception of last season generally can back up how obnoxious we're being. It's like a bit like Bama fans have kind of earned the right to be annoying because they just keep Mm -hmm. winning. Like, what are you going to do about it other than beat them on the field? And no one's doing that. So they get to continue with their annoyingness. And I just feel like Notre Dame fans are annoying and they don't back it up on the field. And it just, they really grind my gears. I mean, not dissimilar 
than Ohio State's rival, like who both of them have been like riding high on like things that happened in the early 20th century and then like a little bit in the 80s and 90s when they were good. And then everything else has been like shit for 30 years. And then they still puff out their chest and say, oh, we have the most people that have ever been drafted or we have the most wins in college football. Well, I mean, do you, though, like if you like start from the advent of television, you know, uh, you don't look as good as you might have if you're actually looking at the totality of the century plus of college football. Right. Yeah. Notre Dame fans are just like, I actually feel safe to say, because I think Buckeye fans, most of us can acknowledge that we are loud and proud to, uh, to the point of being obnoxious. Notre Dame fans, in my opinion, are the most smug of all of the fan bases. And smugness Ooh. is a very different vibe than just being like loud and obnoxious. And they drive me nuts. They are so smug. So, so you think Notre Dame is smugger than Michigan? Yeah, they're my. I would say Notre Dame fans are my least favorite fan base. That's tough. Like, I think, I think and, the and smugness. My went to school in Tennessee, and he was saying just like he went to one of the Notre Dame games. Um, I think it was like maybe a baseball game, and he was just like, I have never seen. He's like, I, he's like, I go to school in the SEC. Like I can handle trash talking and rivalry and we thrive on cheers. And, you know, one of, one of my best friends in LA um, went to Auburn. So she would come out and watch like the, anytime OSU and Bama played and she would like get on the microphone and lead anti-Alabama cheers. And um, good for her. She's the best. Uh, love you, Brittany. I miss you. And my brother was like, I can handle the trash talking, but like the condescension that was being directed at the Tennessee fans as if they were all just like redneck hillbillies who were addicted to opioids. He was just like, <laughs> I hate everyone at this university. Like I Notre Dame is at the bottom of the barrel for me now. It, he had such a bad experience. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing the smugness of, of Notre Dame. I just feel like the Michigan men find they seem to be very smug as well, but I, I will not have an argument as to who is one A and who is one B in that discussion because I think they're both pretty obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I also think like Michigan fans bother me less because it because of the nature of the rivalry. Like I feel like we're probably pretty smug toward Michigan as well. But there's a difference. I feel like I feel like Notre Dame and Michigan are like this this white collar holier than thou smugness where Ohio state and even like Alabama and, and other schools like that are like more of this trash talking sports centric um, smugness where the other Notre Dame and Michigan, it's like, we're just better than you as human beings and right. intellectuals. I feel like there's a difference between smugness and arrogance. And I feel like Ohio state is more irrationally arrogant than smug. If that makes any yeah, sense. That's, that's fair. And actually that's interesting. Cause I do feel like, like based on Marcus Freeman's comments in the off season, like he kind of played into that exact read. Oh on my God. Where he was, just like, yeah, at Notre Dame, you have to go to class every day and like kind of insinuated that you don't have to do that at OSU. You know, there was like a lot about the academics at Notre Dame being better and saying, Tell it on yourself, Marcus. Tell it on yourself, whether you went to school or not. 
I went to class, <laughs> kind of. I went to class. Yeah, you mostly. were a good student. Yeah, I didn't go to class as much as I should have. But um, I, except for my physics, my eight thirty a.m. five days a week physics class, which that's okay. I have never <laughs> used physics in my life since then. Kind of. Look, no, the look, look, I I was in the chimes and sphinx honoraries at Ohio State, but my last quarter or two because I went there when there was still quarters. D is for diploma was my was my motto. Like I have no shame in that. Like I started off really well and then just wanted to get, you know, get through my last couple quarters. But you mentioned that this smugness about Notre Dame and part of that smugness plays into this idea that being independent makes them better than everybody else. And I mentioned the fact that there's been a lot of conversations, especially because the Big Ten is now in a media rights deal with NBC, which has been the longtime broadcast home of Notre Dame, and how potentially that could lead to Notre Dame joining the Big Ten, something that has been rumored and been officially discussed for decades now. Um, It doesn't look like that's going to happen in the short term because... Notre Dame is going to sign its own new rights deal with with NBC. It will not get them nearly as much money on an annual basis as they would get if they would join the Big Ten. But it is enough to make them, you know, to make it financially acceptable to stay independent. But I, as I've said on podcasts before, my first job out of college, I worked at the Big Ten office and this was. Uh, I guess probably 2004 and 2005 when I worked there. So this was still in the, the the heyday of Jim Delaney's power. I was there when the Big Ten Network was first. The planning stages were still going on. It hadn't launched yet when I was there, but it, they were very active in, in, in kind of getting this set up and kind of reconfiguring how all of college sports and college sports media works. But I remember the commissioner would never talk about this because I very rarely ever interacted with the commissioner. But like everybody would say, you know, five or six years before I got there, they had been very close to having the Notre Dame join the Big Ten. And this was in the time when it was 11 schools and it was just the traditional 10 and then Penn State. And that would have put them at 12. They had effectively had a handshake agreement with whomever the negotiating powers were at the time, whether it was the president or the athletic director or whatever, for Notre Dame to join the Big Ten. And then, I don't know, the... The, the board or the College of Cardinals or whoever the hell runs that university put a kibosh on it because they wanted to remain independent and all of these different things. Um, and Commissioner Delaney, and I was told, Commissioner Delaney said that he would never ask Notre Dame to join the Big Ten again. If they wanted to come and ask him, fine, we'll talk about it. But he would never go out of his way to try to get Notre Dame in there because they had effectively – screwed the Big Ten over because they'd spent, you know, years and all this time and money and effort and energy to to make this work and have some sort of agreement. And then Notre Dame did the smug dickish thing that Notre Dame is known for and and backed out. (laughs) I should have said pulled out, but that would be a whole other Catholic discussion. Um, But sorry, is that too much? Is that too far? No, I think it's I think it's the exact right amount of. Okay, All right. But like. I I don't want to steal your point because I know this is the point you want to make, but it's also a point my dad has been making literally since that happened 25 years ago, whatever it was, 20 years ago. But like, can we just get over the fact that like being independent doesn't mean doesn't make you better? Like, it, it actually it's fine. Like, you play a fine schedule. You play six games in the ACC every year. Great, the ACC is effectively an FCS con- a conference. You've got 
they've got some good teams in, from, from the ACC this year, but like it's not that impressive. Then you go out and play USC and a handful of other schools, and it's fine. But like it doesn't make you better than anybody. Well, and I just feel strongly that essentially as we're seeing this Big Ten realignment right now with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, and I think we are moving towards super conferences, like really as far as I'm concerned, Notre Dame should be forced to align um, and they should be forced to do it now. And it's really like, I just think that the Big Ten should be looking at them and saying like, you join us now or like whenever they decide to whatever year is decided upon as the expansion, like you agree to this deal now um, or we don't play you anymore. Yeah. None of our schools are allowed to play Ohio state, Michigan, Purdue, Michigan state. Nobody's allowed to play. you. Right. Like we just, that's it. And I, I feel very strongly that the big 10 really should be taking a harder stance. Cause I just don't think that they don't have any incentive to, uh, like join a conference with the way that their deal stands. And so people need to force their hands. They're already playing most of their schedule against the ACC. Call the SEC. You're not going to be our problem if you don't align now. Like, I just, I think they shouldn't get to continue, like, having their cake and eating it too. And um, the Big Ten really needs to take a harder stance on, like, we're just simply not going to play you. If if the Big Ten didn't play them, like, that would that would eliminate one to two I don't think there's been three uh, games a year against the Big Ten since they entered into this agreement with the ACC. But like going to SEC teams, that would not go well for Notre Dame. I feel very confident saying that like even, you know, the the four through seven, four through eight teams in the SEC would still routinely beat Notre Dame on a regular basis. Like I don't I think they are so propped up. Notre Dame is by the golden helmets and the uh, allure and nostalgia of their brand that because they handpick who they play, they don't actually have to like play teams that are really all that good. They get the teams that look good. Obviously they're playing Ohio state. They're going to get their ass kicked this weekend. That's fine. But like, I don't think that they would actually want to play the sec teams. Cause I don't think they would do super well in that agreement. But I, I, I think what is actually going to lead Notre Dame to eventually join a conference is whatever types of changes happen in the college football playoff. If, if they are allowed to maintain some sort of, direct access to the playoff. Um, I don't think they have any incentive to join a conference. They have as much money as they want. They don't need all the extra money they could get by joining the Big Ten. And as long as they have some sort of fairly direct route to getting to the playoff, I don't think they have any 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 you know real reason to do that. What will be interesting is if in this college football playoff expansion, if they say, okay, every conference Power five, group of five gets an automatic berth like in college basketball. So there's 10 and then there are two at large spots. Figure it out from there. Then I think they automatically join a conference because then that will give them a chance to have an, uh, an automatic berth and then gives them a better and a better way to get in. If they are fi- facing um, the number two team from the SEC and the number two team from the Big Ten for a spot, they lose that in most years. So I think a lot of it's going to come down to, and that's just one scenario in which that can happen, but I think a lot of it is going to be how the college football playoff expansion shakes out and what type of 
availability they have for uh, for spots. If it maintains where it's like, okay, we're going to go to 12 teams, the Power 5 get automatic berths, and then it's the next seven best teams. Notre Dame's going to get in, so they have no incentive to do that. So I think they will join a conference, but I think the Big Ten and a lot of these other conferences are going to use their media partners as ways to make it easier for their own teams to have berths, which then in turn would make it harder for Notre Dame and then eventually lead them to joining a conference, whether it's the Big Ten, ACC, or somebody else. Totally. Yeah, I I think that that's spot on. All right, so do you want to give I, – I said I'm going to save my prediction for my Saturday podcast. Do you want to give a, a prediction at all as to what you think is going to happen, whether that's a score, a storyline, something that is going to happen on Saturday? Um, well, I think that Ohio State is going to win, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to cover the spread. Um, however, I, I mean, the storylines that I'm excited to see are definitely Marcus Freeman – you know, James Laurinaitis was kind of the king of the campus when I was in college. And uh, he's also on the Notre Dame staff. And mm-hmm. so like seeing all, and uh, I believe the linebackers coach Al Washington is also um, former now Ohio State assistant. Yeah. He, yeah. Former Ohio State assistant, Columbus native. His, his the, dad played at Ohio State. Yeah former Buckeye linebacker. So there's a lot of really strong ties in the Notre Dame locker room. Um, and I am excited for, I just think those make great stories. Uh, and I'm excited to see Jim Knowles defense roll out. I think for me, like that's the big one. I'm also curious. Notre Dame is really banged up on offense right now. So like, I don't know that they're even, fielding their best team which is like that's definitely not how you want to start the season so I'm I don't know I'm really I mean I'm again (laughs) thrilled for me personally but um yeah I think that it's it's exciting um yeah I'm I'm excited I think the Buckeyes are gonna win I don't know if they'll cover the spread but I think that if they do it's gonna possibly have something to do with um, all those injuries on Notre Dame's office. I also think that the injuries that they have on offense is great for our defense to kind of test the waters against a really great team. That's not at like its full capacity. That's a good way to ease into the season. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Marcus Freeman had his, uh, game week press conference on Monday. And he mentioned that Jarrett Patterson, who is an all American offensive lineman, um, he is questionable for the game. He is listed on their depth chart as starting, but that means nothing. Ohio state doesn't even put out a depth chart anymore, Uh, but he is questionable. He's not officially ruled out, um, but he is potentially playing, but we will see Avery Davis, who is their starting wide receiver. He is out for the season with a torn ACL. Um, So that changes their, um, their their passing game prowess, uh, which certainly could help the Ohio State secondary, especially a reconfigured one under Jim Knowles's uh, safety heavy secondary. So we will see what happens there. But all right, Jamie, let's wrap up this episode with some recommendations. Uh, you have one that I know you are very passionate about, and uh, I don't think you were. I think 
Meredith and Megan maybe talked about it on an episode of Play Like a Girl, but I don't think you were on the episode, or, or am I misremembering who was on which no, episode? No, it was not. I have not talked about this okay. yet. So I'm so really do. excited. Um, my recommendation is if you have Amazon Prime Video, uh, check out the A League of Their Own uh, series that um, essentially like deals with some of the historical inaccuracies that are in the movie, which is like near and dear to my heart. Perfect film, five stars, no notes. Um, but it is nice to see the um, kind of like people of color put back into the story, uh, the sort of like washed out LGBTQ undertones of the movie that were always kind of coded, but not ever really explicitly stated, dealt with in the show. Um, in a really beautiful way and in just kind of as like a, an aside in real life, two of the women who played on the teams um, live were, were like happily married. They, well, they recently got married. They weren't allowed to be married when they were playing together, but they kind of lived together in secret for many decades. And recently after gay marriage became legal, are happily married and they live in my hometown. And so like oh, cool. near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So um, the one, my one word of caution is if you are someone who is bothered by like, essentially it, it the show takes place in the, during world war two. Yeah, um, yeah. But some of the like verbiage and the dialogue is written in kind of today's vernacular. So if that's something that's going to bother you, just know that going in. Ooh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely bothered a few people that I know to the point that they, they've stopped watching. It doesn't bother me. Um, like, I know that it's happening, but it's it's not a distraction for me. But if you are someone who is going to pick up on that and be distracted, that's my word of warning, is like, you will hear things that you might hear on TikTok show up in the show in the 40s oh that's strange i didn't know that i think i knew going in that that was the case like someone had warned me about it and so it it didn't bother me because i just had already like tapered my expectations um is abby jacobson writing or is she just producing uh, i'm not sure if she's writing or not anyway it doesn't i mean broad city's great but like that's that seems like an odd decision to make there like I think that she is writing because I'm almost positive that she's co-creating. Yeah, yeah, she's it, co-creating. Yeah, you definitely. Can, like, hear the um, you can hear the broad city kind of like tone of voice in the show. Yeah. Okay. And again, it doesn't bother me, but certainly, like I, yeah, I've heard from more than one person that it is distracting to them, and so that's my word of warning. If you are someone who will notice that and be distracted, know that going in. Otherwise you're good to go. That's, I am having a great time. Brings yeah. me joy. Uh, I love a good anachronistic storytelling device, but that was not one I would have guessed that they would do it in, but interesting. All right. I'm going to stick in the world of streaming television, and this is not going to be a surprise to anybody. Everybody recommends the show. Everybody loves this show, but I am going to recommend the second season of only murders in the building on Hulu. Uh, I have to be honest. I enjoyed the first well, I loved the first season. The second season wasn't as good for me as the first season, mainly because I think like it was a lot of the same familiar narrative beats that we saw in season one. But the season two finale was perfect. Like it was a perfect, you know, 
a perfect way to wrap up this season. It did everything that a great mystery does. It does everything a great comedy does. I tell you, Selena Gomez, who is someone that I only vaguely, I mean, I knew who she was, but I didn't know anything about her before this show started. Like her dry delivery deserves its own Emmy category, not an Emmy. Like she deserves a whole category where different individual line readings are nominated for Emmys because it is that good. The finale uh-huh. I thought was perfect. Um, you and I are both obviously huge theater people. So there's a ton of theater stars in this show and not to spoil anything, but there is a lot of uh, theater elements baked into the finale. Um, a lot of, I mean, Tracy Letts gets a shout out in this, in the season finale. So uh, I thought the season finale of season two of only murders in the building was about as perfect as they could have possibly made it, even though the season as a whole, as much as I still loved it, um, was a, a slight step down from season one, but they certainly redeemed themselves um, with that finale and raised the game and set it up for what is almost certain to be uh, a really, really spectacular third season. I agree completely. I um, I don't want to say like I was I liked it more than being lukewarm. Yeah, yeah, me too. Season. But when I hit that finale, I like immediately. We have a kind of a film and TV Slack channel at work, and I immediately was like, "Who watches the show and who's seen the finale? Like, who can I yell at for twenty minutes about this?" Um, so good. I thought the finale was just like really, really elevated everything else, and there were some really smart things. I, I do feel like the season part of why it didn't feel quite as um, like urgent as the first season was they were playing the long game to hit the finale moment. Um, And so it was a little bit of a slow burn, but the payoff was so worth it. Well, and I think we became so accustomed to like what the show was in the first season that they had to like purposely subvert a lot of the expectations that we'd built up because of how they told the story in the first season. So it's almost like you were looking for the twists that always come in a murder or in a murder mystery. Like, you know, I'm a huge uh, Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle fan. So like uh, those are familiar, like we know these things. Um, so they kind of played around with those and like kept giving you f- breadcrumbs and kept giving you this and kept giving you that and kept giving you red herrings. And you expected there just to be one red herring, but then there was two or three and then you weren't really sure what was going on. Um, so I think they they really understood how not to get caught into a repetitive rut. Uh, and like I said, I still liked it, but it, it was it didn't differentiate itself as much until the finale. But being the a little bit even more, if I can admit this, of a theater obsessive than I am. Did you recognize without spoiling anything? There's a scene that takes place in a theater. Did you recognize what theater that might have been? Because they shoot in New York, but I didn't I don't know that I recognized the theater at all. You know, I don't know that I was paying close enough attention. And I think that if I did, if I had paid closer attention, I, it would have been, I would maybe have been able to identify it. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's supposed to be a Broadway theater. I'm not a hundred percent sure it's a Broadway theater. In fact, I think it's probably not because it didn't look grand enough, big enough to be a Broadway theater and the smaller Broadway theaters I can usually pick out. But I wondered if it was, you know, the beacon or, or something else that, you know, we're fairly familiar with in the theater world uh, there. But anyway, if anybody knows what theater they shot the finale uh, scene in, uh, hit me up on Twitter. But all 
right, everybody, that's all that we have for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land's Stick to Sports podcast. If you're finding this episode on our website, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasting goodness. If you like our particular brand of weirdness, please leave us a rating and review. We are bringing you nearly two podcast episodes every single day throughout the entire season. I think there will only be generally one episode on Sundays, but every other day we will have multiple episodes to keep your Buckeye fix uh, completely fulfilled. So uh, you can follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant 33. You can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt. Jamie, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at, at Jamie Urich. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.